You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Did appeasement embolden Russia's cyber operators? Western Digital discloses a cyber attack. Rylide is a new strain of malware in active use. The Mantis Cyber Espionage Group uses new robust tools and tactics. The challenges of threat hunting. Joe Kerrigan has thoughts on public school systems making cybersecurity part of the curriculum. Our guest is Mae Mitchell of Open Systems, addressing closing the talent gap. And when it comes to criminal enterprise, size matters. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. The present state of Russia's war against Ukraine, stalled on the ground as it is, has prompted some reflection on the lessons that might be learned from that war's cyber phases. Online publication The Conversation has summarized and placed into context the accounts of the Vulcan Papers. Russian operations have encompassed cyber espionage, disruptive attacks against infrastructure, nuisance-level hacktivism, and most prominently, influence operations aimed at both domestic and international opinion. The disruptive attempts may have fallen short of pre-war expectations, but defense experts find them alarming nonetheless. The Voice of America quotes a U.S. defense official who spoke Friday on condition of anonymity, stating, The Russian operation in Ukraine as it relates to red lines for conflict should be of concern to many people. You're willing to drop a bomb on a power station— or you're willing to drop a bomb on a rail network, then you're certainly willing to execute a cyber attack against them. As just general common sense sort of military tactics, I don't believe you would reduce something to rubble if you had the ability to neutralize it otherwise. You don't want to use high-end kinetic tools unless you have to. Retired U.S. Admiral James Stavridis, a former NATO Supreme Allied Commander for Europe, thinks so, He argues in an op-ed published by both Bloomberg and The Washington Post 
that insufficient response to its non-kinetic military operations helped equip the Kremlin with an effective virtual complement to the traditional invasion. The West, in effect, conducted a policy of digital appeasement in response to multiple cyber attacks. There has been, in Admiral Stavridis's view, a failure of deterrence and diplomacy. He concludes, The U.S. needs to develop a sense of deterrence in cyber, and doing so will require more aggressive responses than it has been willing to employ thus far. Now that the Russians have acted so strongly in the physical domain, we may find them even more emboldened in the cyber domain. So how does one achieve cyber deterrence? Discuss amongst yourselves and take a look at the Admiral's op-ed for suggestions on how to frame the challenge. California-based data storage provider Western Digital has disclosed a breach in which an unauthorized third party gained access to its systems, the register reports. Computing reports that the company has shut down its MyCloud consumer cloud and backup service while it investigates the incident. The company hasn't disclosed the nature of the attack, and the investigation is still in its early stages. Western Digital said in a statement that it detected an incident on March 26th, initiated its incident response plans, and began taking steps to remediate the issue. A new strain of Chromium-based browser malware, Rylide, has been uncovered by Trustwave Spider Labs. This morning, Spider Labs wrote, Rylide malware is disguised as a legitimate Google Drive extension and enables threat actors to carry out a broad spectrum of malicious activities, including monitoring browsing history, taking screenshots, and injecting malicious scripts to withdraw funds from various cryptocurrency exchanges. Rylide has been found by Spider Labs in at least two malware campaigns since April of 2022. The first was involved with the Epikia Rat, a remote-access Trojan, malware that used Microsoft Publisher and relied on the user ignoring a warning pop-up and executing a macro. Spider Labs notes... Microsoft Publisher was not affected by Microsoft's decision to block macros from executing files downloaded from the Internet. The second seems to be using Google Ads, disguising itself as legitimate Team Viewer installers or an NVIDIA Drivers installer. Symantec discovered that Mantis, which you may know as Arid Viper, Desert Falcon, or APT-C23, is now mounting attacks against Palestinian targets with a new set of tools. In its report published today, Symantec explains that although this pattern of targeting isn't new, the tools in Mantis's mandibles certainly appear to be. Mantis operates from the Palestinian territories against Palestinian individuals. In 2022, Mantis began using updated versions of its custom Micropsia and Arid Gopher backdoors to compromise targets before engaging in extensive credential theft and exfiltration of stolen data. Mantis seems to compartmentalize its attacks by using three distinct versions of the same toolset on three groups of computers. This affords redundancy. If one group of tools is discovered and neutralized, then the other two may remain unaffected. Symantec reports, the attackers also used a custom exfiltration tool to exfiltrate data stolen from targeted organizations. The researchers describe Mantis as a determined adversary with the demonstrated ability to compartmentalize attacks against one organization and rewrite malware to maintain an edge against its targets. 
Team Simru this morning published a report looking at the challenges faced by cybersecurity analysts in hunting threats. 59% of the respondents said their organization's threat hunting program was only somewhat effective, and 38% said their biggest challenge was a lack of appropriate threat hunting tools. Nearly half said their main goal is to identify threats before an intruder is able to cause damage. One of the top concerns among threat hunters is the inability to measure the success of their efforts. Are crooks more successful when they run their crime like a business? So it seems. Trend Micro yesterday released a report discussing the variances in criminal group behavior based on their sizes. The researchers share that knowledge of the size of a criminal organization can aid in the discovery of cybercrime. Small criminal businesses, and these make up the majority of cybercriminal enterprise, are typically comprised of one to five staff members, a single layer of management personnel, and a turnover of under $500,000. Smaller criminal businesses tend to be staffed by moonlighters who also have a day job. Doing what, you ask? Who knows? We imagine it varies. Dental hygienist, convenience store staff, paralegal, roofer, pretty much anything. One of our writers knew a guy in L.A. who eked out a living by being the 10th caller to radio stations. Mid-sized businesses tend to have between 6 and 49 employees, two layers of management, and upwards of $50 million in turnover annually. These businesses tend to be structured as pyramids with one boss at the time. The big criminal enterprises usually have three layers of management, 50 or more employees, and over $50 million in annual revenue. Lower management and supervisory management are kings in these businesses, with the overarching leadership well-versed in cybercrime. The larger cybercriminal businesses, such as Conti, tend to be run like corporations, containing familiar departments like IT and HR with benefits and the other trappings of legitimate business. Notice anything about these org charts? As it does everywhere else, the old law of 7 plus or minus 3 prevails. That's about the number of direct reports you can have before you start losing track of what the sneeches are up to. Look that one up. Coming up after the break, Joe Kerrigan has thoughts on public school systems making cybersecurity part of the curriculum. Our guest is Mae Mitchell from Open Systems, addressing closing the talent gap. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Yesterday here, we discussed training trends and how investing in your employees' continuing education can be an important part of retention. May Mitchell is CMO at Ontinu, the recently formed MDR division of Open Systems. I spoke with her about the challenges of attracting and retaining top talent. It's definitely very challenging. If you are a manager, a hiring manager, looking for top talent, you know, regardless of location, it's so very tough. Lots of areas where you can find top talent, but find the, the specific um, skill set that fit uh, the needs, it's still challenging. And then the other challenging thing is that uh, once you do find them, you have to retain them. So um, getting them trained in the enablement piece and then keeping them engaged throughout is definitely challenging these days, especially for a hybrid uh, workforce. Reason being is once you spend all that time and money getting your top talent on board, it's this ongoing career development, making sure that they are um, getting what they need. They have the right tools in place. You know, they can easily get tapped by your competitors or someone else that's calling for them. So it's this constant push and pull in the marketplace today. Um, and then the second, the second thing is regarding the diversity. You know, we all know that diversity drives innovation. And I understand that a lot of companies have put emphasis starting from the top down in terms of um, diversity being, you know, a top initiative and, and there's goals and stats and all that. But that is something that has to be bought in and it, it's an ongoing effort. It is really tough. You got the balance of, you know, meeting those diverse numbers, but also you want the top talent if you're a hiring manager. So it's it's hard to find that. And, and then number of women that's currently in cybersecurity, it's a numbers game. There's just not enough of that, you know? I'm curious, you know, in your experience, what are some of the successful strategies that organizations can use to both attract good talent, but then also, as, as you say, retain them? You have to have the right culture. And it's the people business. It's the culture. People enjoy working with people that, you know, they connect with and that they want to work for environments where they are inspired. They're inspired by the leadership team. They're inspired by what the leader is saying, you know, and they're bought into that strategy or that mission. And culture is only built from the top down. It starts at the top. There's no question about it. And then it cascades. 
Um, and then every single person within that company, whether you are a senior leader or individual contributor, you are part of that culture. You're leading it, you're strengthening it throughout. So that's number one. Number two is, you know, setting goals, having common set of goals and up at the top and, you know, three to five goals. And then those goals are cascaded throughout the organization. And some of those goals could be, you know, building a great culture, um, having a set number of for diversity. And again, that has to be bought in throughout everyone. And then having, putting that as a top priority, um, finding the right individuals, having a coordinated effort to hit those numbers. Your candidate pool um, should include X number of individuals. That's part of the, uh, you know, women. Um, the other thing is maybe your panel. Your panel should have some women leaders in there as well. And then also once you do hire that individual, when they do come on board, make sure there's a new hire buddy, you know, that they're assigned to. And you want to pair up. If you're breeding a, a, um, a top talent female uh, leader or individual contributor, maybe you should uh, pair them up with someone like to like. You know, the first 30 days, even the first two weeks, actually, first 30 days, really, really important to keep in touch. Next 90 days, and they, they'll get a good feel for whether or not this is the right place for them. You know, we're seeing layoffs uh, across the industry right now. And I think for many people, particularly those who maybe not have been in cybersecurity for a while, this is the first rounds of layoffs that they've experienced. Do you think that changes the equation here, any? You know, everyone everyone is going through this right now. Every single company, large, small, uh, VC funded and all that, everyone's watching what's happening. It's kind of a changing life. I think, uh, you know, everyone's really, really mindful um, priorities. Everyone's mindful on budget spend. And that includes a program budget and hiring even. Everyone wants stability. You know, you need to stabilize your business. Certainly everyone wants to grow. And also it's like, um, think about, when I think about being a, a hiring manager, I also thought times like this, it's about resource allocation. So there might, there might've been some things that we did in the past, um, certainly with the economic climate that's changed. You have to put a different hat on and think about, okay, what are the things that we need to do that we can go deep in? Let's do a few things to go really, really deep. There's some things that we're not going to do. And you want to make sure that the other departments are okay with it. Again, it's about getting, getting alignment. Number two is when I say resource allocation, this is really where we have to ask our employees to stretch themselves, you know? and try new things. You know, maybe we didn't hire them for something, but we do need everyone's help and uh, wear a different hat. And we may have to move some individuals around to pick up the, those areas that, we've, that we really want to do. But in terms of um, diversity and all that, yeah, that's, I've been reading a lot of stories about whether or not that has been impacted with these recent layoffs, because at the end of the day, there's so much that goes into having layoffs and all that. The reasoning is, I'm sure it's very, very thoughtful process. And again, it goes back to the priorities of the organization. Um, I am hearing some things that, you know, diversity is still top priority, but then also other organizations like, look, 
We're really looking for what do we got to do? It's bootstrapping right now, stabilizing the business. But I still think that there's a lot of companies out there that are still hiring. But again, they're very, very, very mindful of the specific skill set that they're looking for. So I still think it's a job market, um, you know, it's still pretty good out there as far as as far as high tech and as far as cybersecurity as well. That's May Mitchell from Ontinue. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, this article caught my eye. This is a particular uh, reporting on it. comes from a website called K-12 Dive, which is a, a news website for folks who are in education. Uh, Joe, you uh, have dipped your toes in education with your yes. uh, pr- profession over at uh, Hopkins. So yeah, my toes this- have been in the education pool for about 10 years now. There you go. So you're, you're at least ankle deep. Right. Uh, so this article is uh, titled, North Dakota becomes first state to require K-12 cybersecurity education. That is excellent. Yeah. What's going on here, uh, Joe? Well, first off, uh, I'd like to know why North Dakota is the first state to do this and not Maryland. <laughs> okay, fair uh, enough. Our home state. Yeah, our home state. <laughs> but also, kind of like the Silicon Valley of cybersecurity companies, mm-hmm. right? A lot of cybersecurity companies around here. And we've done a lot over the last two decades to try to attract them, but we haven't made this as part of the uh, education requirement for students graduating graduating from high school. Right. So there's a new bill that has been signed into law. It is uh, to graduate from, from high school in North Dakota. The law requires that students take at least one course in either computer science or cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are saying that uh, this underpins everything that we do now. So it's an imperative part of education that students understand cybersecurity and computer science. What do you make of this? Uh, I like it. I think it's a good. Uh, I think it's a. It's a long time overdue. I'm amazed that uh, we don't have other computer science requirements in our education around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody should know how to do s- at least some kind of basic scripting, right, or something. Uh, I, I, you know, and then there's the argument, well, not everybody is good at that, but mm-hmm. you don't need to do super excellent work or anything. I don't think you should, but I think you should understand how computers work mm. and what goes, what's under the, under the, uh, under the covers in these things. When mm-hmm. I hand you a cell phone that has all these pretty lights on the front of it, what's actually going on in the back? Yeah. That's, I think it's important to know. It's not just for uh, computer science, but also it does relate to the cybersecurity stuff. Mm-hmm. And it also relates to privacy and, and you know, human rights in that way. Yeah. You need to know what's going on and, and you need to have an idea of, of how it works. And, and cybersecurity, I think, I, I don't know how I feel about it being either computer science or cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. I would like to see both of those be some kind of re- requirement. If I had to pick one, I would the, I was going to make mandatory. I'd make security mandatory over computer science. Yeah, maybe it's a matter of giving some kids a uh, choice so that the kids who are more technically oriented can choose that computer science class. But if but if 
beyond that, you can take cybersecurity and uh, hopefully that'll be something that will serve you well as you go through life. And maybe that is exactly what I'm describing here, some kind of uh, technical class that, that, that puts you in the right mind, frame of mind for this, yeah. for, for thinking uh, analytically and, and uh, you know, in terms of computers and how they work. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's worth noting here also that this is, this is really part of a push on North Dakota's part to really embrace technology. They've, they've really got a, a strong vision here. Yeah, they have this uh, initiative. They call it the PK-20W initiative. Hmm. I have no idea why they call it 20W, uh, but it's supposed to be pre-kindergarten through PhD plus. Okay. Um, so they're saying that they should have cybersecurity education all along this spectrum of, of uh, people. And I, I think that's a valid, a valid goal. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. We should be training people uh, in, in cybersecurity all the time, even at the user, at the end user level, uh, throughout their education careers. And the reason for that is because this internet thing isn't really a fad. It's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> Despite what people thought in the, in the uh, 90s and 2000s, that's, that's demonstrated that it's going to be around forever. Uh, as long as we have, uh, as long as we can power it and keep the lights on, it'll mm-hmm. stay on. Yeah. Again, I'll just point out that uh, it's come. I, I've learned that uh, folks that I've interviewed that uh, North Dakota has really embraced a kind of a whole of government approach to cyber. Yeah, they from, have from the top down. Yeah, it, they have one one organization or one one set of policies that goes across all of their organizations of government and not just at the state level, but it also protrudes down to this uh, county and local level as well. Right, right. So they're they're really resourcing everybody and trying to provide that higher level protection to at all levels, starting at the top and then sort of, uh, you know, making its way down to the to this, the smaller organizations who are going to have more of a challenge funding this on their own. That's right. It's a really interesting uh, experiment from North Dakota and uh, be interesting to see how it plays out for them. I, I think this is, I personally, I think this is good news that they're putting this in the curriculum and uh, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I agree. I think it's the curriculum part is good news. Now, if you're thinking about the whole of government thing, I don't know how easy that would be to do in uh, in Maryland because in the in the in North Dakota, you're talking about fewer than a million people, like three quarters of a million people, right? Uh, and about one third of those people, in some way, use that the internet or the the network or something on that. Which means you know there's there's users. You know, if you think about your Maryland Easy Pass, that that makes you a user of the Maryland government systems, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a quarter million is a lot less than we have in Maryland. Yeah, uh, and and. I don't know how how this would how that whole of government thing would work in Maryland. I'd like to see it, but something we could certainly do in Maryland is make cybersecurity education a requirement yeah. to graduate from high school. That should be that should be easy. Yeah, I mean, it really is the, the whole notion of uh, you know the states being places where these things are tried. The, the experiments right. happen in the states. That's a great example of that. Yep. So something to keep an eye on. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security 
by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Urban and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.